Welcome to the Milk and Honey with Lemon podcast. I'm your host, Lemon Price, creator of the Holy Girl Habits, wife and mama, and certified life and leadership coach who turned away from corporate life to embrace kingdom leadership. This podcast is for Christian women feeling the weight of their divine callings, grappling with doubts of their leadership abilities, and searching tirelessly for biblically grounded guidance who want to step confidently into their roles as radiant kingdom leaders. Inside, we're going to traverse from those feelings of uncertainty and overwhelming searches, moving toward firm biblical leadership, empowering you to steward your gifts and showing you that you indeed have what it takes. So sister, grab your favorite cup of coffee or tea and let's dive in together. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Milk and Honey podcast. I am so excited today because today I want to talk about women in leadership in the Bible that we're not normally discussing, right? So I feel like people talk a lot about Esther, Deborah, Mary Magdalene, right? We covered those in the last episode. But I want to talk about some women that you could miss very easily if you just skim through your Bible, or even if you've read your Bible cover to cover, it's really easy to miss them because they're only in, you know, like two or three verses and they don't get a whole big section dedicated to them. However, their impact is far reaching and I think we can pull a lot from them. And so if you've got your Bible, get it out. If you're on your phone, you know, flip to flip to a Bible app, pull up some verses with me because I want to dive in. So The first group of women I want to talk about is Joanna and Susanna. So Luke mentions them in uh, Luke chapter eight, verses two to three. And so this whole section is about the parable of the sower, um, you know, this first section of Luke. And so I'll preface this in the beginning, right? So I'm reading from the NIV for you. First uh, one says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, right? So you got Jesus and the 12 disciples, and also some women. So now I'm in verse two, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, right? So we've got a group of women who have already been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Then we have Mary Ma- called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, um, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Okay, so there's a whole group of women with Jesus on his mission. I just want to point that out because way too often I hear that women don't belong in any sort of leadership capability, um, but Jesus was traveling with women, which is so radical for that time, right? Women were not encouraged to study the scriptures at all. And so for Jesus to be out traveling with a large group of women is radical. Now, the last part of this first, and I think this is really important. It says, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Sister, did you hear what I just said? They said these women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women were supporting Jesus and the 12 disciples out of their own means, which means they had money, which means they took their money and they poured into the kingdom with it. I think this is such an easy line to miss, is that these women were able to pour into Jesus's ministry with their own means. And I think way too often we are told, especially as women, to be really quiet and to stay meek and to only serve in our homes. 
and we can serve at home, but also be a woman of means because look at what these women did with means. They supported Jesus. They supported the 12 disciples. And it didn't say that it was a group of men out supporting this ministry. It was women. And we know the impact of Jesus's ministry and those 12 disciples. And so I just sit here and I think about what would the kingdom look like? What would the world look like if there were more Christian women of means? Like, I want you to ask yourself that. Like, what would you do with means? What would you do? What charities would you support? I know exactly where, you know, I go. For me personally, um, I volunteered at Crisis uh, Christian Pregnancy Center, and I'm right in a college town. And when you go onto their website, like things like a hundred dollar donation takes care of some of the services that they need for weeks, months. And so I have big dreams. You know, I think about what it looks like to tithe at my church, you know, 10%. If I'm, if I have more means to give, like, what does that do for my church community? What does that do for the community as a whole? What does that do for the ministry efforts? What does that do for the missionary efforts? Like, what does that do for the kingdom if I'm tithing bigger? But then what does that do for the charities that I care about, right? So this charity, they're, they're I mean, they're local, right? They're new. They've been up maybe a year. What does that look like to pour into them in this capacity? What does it look like for me to, I mean, we do a mentorship dinner, right? And everybody donates and, and cooks and all these things every single month because um, I mentor in this community. And so what does it look like to be able to to cut them a check for $10,000? What does that look like? And so... I really want you to ask yourself, like, what would you donate to? What would you support? What charity could you pour into fully if you had more income? If you had, what's the impact you would make? Because that's exactly what Joanna and Susanna did, right? They were women of means and they've had a global kingdom impact. I want you to like sit with that for a second and think about what it is that you would do with income like that. All right, I want you to get out your Bible again because we're going to switch gears here and we're going to switch over to First Timothy or Second Timothy. And I want to talk about Lois and Eunice. Okay. So Second uh, Timothy one, Paul's writing to Timothy, right? He first identifies himself in verse one. Um, Paul as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son. So I really like this, right? So first Paul establishes his authority here, and then he addresses Timothy, my dear son, and he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from the God from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Great, beautiful introduction. Verse three. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Beautiful. We love that about Paul. He's remembering Timothy in his prayers. Then he says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Did you hear that, my friend? Because of the example set forth by first 
Timothy's grandmother, Lois. She then passed that faith down to her mother, to, you know, her daughter, Eunice, who then passed that faith down to Timothy. Think about, I mean, here we are, right? We are talking about Timothy right now. 2,000-ish years later, we're talking about Timothy. And it is because first, his grandmother had faith. And it is because she was she had faith. She passed that down to her child, who then passed that down to her child. And there is a generational impact of her, of Lois first, living out her faith. And for her mother, or for, you know, then her daughter, Eunice, to be faithful. Because these women were faithful, we get first and second Timothy. We get this, this moment here between Paul and Timothy. And I love that. I just, I sit and I think about our influence, right? And that's what I take from Lois and Eunice here is Lois had no idea that she was going to be mentioned in the scriptures one day. She had no idea that her daughter was going to be mentioned in the scriptures one day. She had no idea that her grandson would be mentioned in scriptures one day, that he would have whole books in the scriptures, right? These women were just faithful women. And the influence that they have is greater than anything that they could have predicted. And that's what I want to remind you that you have. You have generational impact. I know that I see it. Um, my husband and I talk about this all the time. So I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I know I mentioned that in the first episode, um, my whole backstory, but I wasn't raised in a Christian household at all. And I actually, actually, this is, oh man, I love Holy Spirit downloads, right? While I'm talking about this, my grandmother went to Catholic school and was raised Catholic. And she had a bad experience in the 60s, heard my grandfather did with the Catholic church. And they and they left, right? They they decided they were just going to have a relationship with God, but they weren't going to be a part of any sort of church. Okay, so this one thing impacted my grandmother, which then impacted my mother. And that, that re- experience that my grandparents had trickled down to my mother to God is bad and that Christians are bad. And that's the way I was raised, right? So I'm, I can, I see it. Oh my gosh, so clearly, right? I'm looking at the decisions that we make and how that impacts generations because that one decision my grandmother made, and I understand why she made that decision. Um, I won't tell that story now, but it was a valid reason that, that they, I, I understand why they felt the way they did. And so the one decision that my grandparents made impacted my mother and it impacted me and the way that I was raised and the things that I thought and believed about myself for 30 years until I really fully surrendered, right? I was saved, saved at 24, but I fully surrendered at like 31, right? It took me, it took me a little bit to like release, release the grip that I had and fully surrender. And that's the impact, right? That Lois had. Lois is one decision to be faithful and to to endure that faith until the end and have that faith be lived out impacted Eunice, who made the same exact decision. 
and that impacted Timothy. And so I want to ask you, what, what does your faith and commitment look like? What is the generational impact that it has? And you don't even know it. You have no idea. We have no idea of reading the scriptures, how Lois and Eunice impacted other people in their community. We have no idea. We just know one tiny thread of the generational impact that they had. And so when you're when you're out serving in your community, when you're running your business and you're putting God at the forefront and you are leaving, leading with biblical principles and values because that's who you are at the core, that makes generational impact that you will never know. But heaven knows. Heaven knows every time you make generational impact like that. And so I want to encourage you listening to this to lean into the generational impact that you have because you do have it. You just have to accept that you have it and walk in purpose with it. The last person I wanted to talk about today was my friend Lydia. And I know I've mentioned Lydia before, but I just, I love this, this whole section about Lydia. So flip over, if you got your Bibles or it's in your phone, whatever you're doing, to Acts 16 verses 14 to 15. And again, still in the NIV. Okay, so I'm going to pull, I'm actually just going to pull this whole thing up because I'm in. Okay, so this is where Timothy joins Paul and Silas, um, right? We just talked about Timothy and then Lydia gets a whole section, right? Verses 11 to 15 are about her conversion because it makes a difference, okay? So verse 11, it talks about, you know, their, um, their journey to Philippi, right? It says a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days on the Sabbath. We went outside the verse 13, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Again, it is women who who are leading a faith movement. I want you to hear that. Like they go out to a place of prayer and they find a group of women out there. One of these, one of those listening was a woman from the city. Uh, I'm not even going to try to say the same. So you y'all can read it named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I just want to like go back to this whole thing here for a second. It was women that were at the river at this place of prayer. It was Lydia who had a business, right? She's a dealer in purple cloth, right? This is high-end fabric here. She was a Jesus follower. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then she and the members of her household were baptized. So it's not just her conversion. It is her whole household's conversion. And then she insisted, insisted that Timothy and Paul and Silas stay in her home. Are you hearing the impact of this? Okay. So this, I feel like Lydia ties in so well to both Joanna and Susanna and Lois and Eunice. And that's why I saved her for last year. 
Number one, she was already a woman who was going to find a place of prayer, right? She's already, she's already that type of woman. Okay. She runs a business. She is a dealer in purple cloth. She runs a business. So here's the thing. She had a home then because she runs this business. She has a home that is big enough to accommodate these missionaries, these apostles. She has a home big enough. And she was well off enough that she could insist that they stay, right? This wasn't like a, you know, like when you invite somebody and you're like, okay, like we can do it, but it's going to be stressful. Like she insists that they come and stay at her home. I just, I love this story just so much of Lydia because here's the thing. So if, if Lydia was at the river, right, for a place of prayer, then that means that Lydia was probably already Jewish, right? And so the fact that there's a whole group of women at the river to pray and hold the Sabbath, it means there probably wasn't enough faithful Jewish men to have a synagogue there at all, right? So these women were faithful without any sort of organized church, right? Just leaning on God and trusting in the scriptures and holding true to their faith. And because they held true to their faith, right? Lydia is able to hear what Paul is saying. She's baptized as a follower of Christ, right? This beautiful conversion that she had. Um, and then I really love this because she says, this is something important too that she says. She insists that they stay. But part of what she says is that if they believe, like if they trust that she's a believer, right? Like if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. That's what she says. She's just been baptized. And so she's like, if you trust that my conversion is true, then come and stay. And so, of course, you know, they do because they judged her conversion to be true. And so what I think is really cool about this whole story is that Lydia's conversion is the beginning of um, like the church in Asia Minor, right? So I just think that's really special, like. It had never gone further west than that, right? So Lydia is the first person to have been saved in all of Europe, which I think is really incredible, right? So if, if I go back to Acts 16, 6 through 10, it talks about how um, they'd been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, Right. So they made an attempt to go to Asia, but they weren't able to. And so Lydia being saved here in Philippi, she's the first person to be saved in Europe. Right. And so here's the thing. Then we learn, okay, this is so good, that there's a church there, right? Revelation 2.18 talks about a church there. Right. And so in the in the place that Lydia is from, right? A church a church makes it makes their way back to where she is from. And guys, I'm not going to attempt to pr- 
pronounce this. I took Greek and Hebrew, but I'm afraid to butcher it. Paul never went to where Lydia was from. And so it's very possible that Lydia's conversion spread, right? Chances are she still has family there. Chances are she still has friends there, right? I know how I am when I receive good news or when the Lord has done something for me. I sort of can't shut up about it. And I guarantee that's what Lydia did. So in Lydia's story, we can see just a few things, right? Like when you're seeking the Lord, the Lord will open doors for you, right? The Lord opened his heart for Lydia, for Lydia to be able to hear that because she was seeking the Lord. She was in a place where she was seeking the Lord. Lydia was extremely hospitable, right? She insisted that these apostles and missionaries came and stay at her home. She was a missionary herself, helping convert her the, all the members of her household, And she was a businesswoman who had enough means to support these missionaries in the work they were doing. And so I want to ask you today, what is it that you could do if you had more means? What is the generational impact that could be felt if you were running a successful business? What would it look like for you to have some time freedom and a lucrative business to go out and disciple others. What does that look like for you? Where would you put your time? Where's the Lord calling you to step up and serve and be a leader in your community? If you're not already um, a part of a sisterhood, then I would love to invite you to join mine. So come, come ask me, come learn about Girl Power Alliance. Links in the show notes. We're a Christian community for women where we raise up leaders who are raising up leaders and we offer Christ-centered personal and professional development. So if you're like, if you've been listening to this, you're like, all right, I want to start a business. I have the resources for you. If you're a seasoned pro in business and you want to know how to take it to the next level, I have the resources for you. And they all put Jesus at the forefront. And so I love this because I've, you know, worked in the business space for five years now. And I, this is the first place I found that puts Jesus at the forefront in everything that we do. And because of that, we are raising up kingdom leaders, women who have means, who are supporting ministries and missions that they care about. And so if you're if you're a woman who's like, I, I need to get plugged into something like that. I want to support more ministries. I want to support more missions. I want to support my church bigger. I want to open, you know, the doors of my home like Proverbs 31 woman did, right? She was a woman of means. And because of that, she could open the door to the needy in her home. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I, I want to be that woman, I feel that calling on my heart, then come and join me. Click, click the link in the show notes, come hang out. Um, you can, you can go to girlpoweralliance.com slash lemon. If you would just want to go straight there to learn more. And I promise you will be so grateful that you did. So until next time, I will see you guys later. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to the Milk and Honey with Lemon podcast. I am so grateful you were here. I hope this episode has helped you move from feelings of doubt and uncertainty towards stepping confidently into your God-given leadership role, fully equipped with biblical wisdom. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to reach and inspire more Christian women leaders just like you. Don't forget to share your takeaways, post it on Instagram, tag me anywhere you're on social media, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.